Now, no one stood up. I know it's a rainy day, and uh, so people probably don't really feel like doing anything really active. But I want to ask a question to begin this morning. Just brainstorm. Don't get too technical. Don't have to be too profound. But here's the question. In your mind and in your understanding of what church should be, when does a church stop being a church? Just throw out some answers. Okay. <laughs> no, you don't have to be so profound. You've scared everyone. Unloving? When no one's there? Stop preaching the Word of God. Anyone else? Okay, something to think about. I had a friend, it's actually a business colleague of mine, a customer, and um, I was quite excited in our conversations as I got to know her to discover that she went to church. In fact, she was quite active in her church. Uh, In fact, she was quite excited about her church. And so I started talking about my church and my involvement in church. And as I got to know Courtney... Uh, over a course of a few years, and listened to her talk about her church and her involvement, eventually it got into what her beliefs were. And as excited as I was at the beginning to discover that she was a church goer, uh, I was quite confused when she started actually describing a little bit about her church to me. Uh, In fact, I found out the name of her church, and I went on the web's to find out a bit more and to see what the church said about itself. And here's what this church had to say about itself and and the denomination that it it, uh, was part of. It said, This church is a liberal religion characterized by a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We do not share a creed, uh, but are unified by our shared search for spiritual growth. Our roots are in liberal Christianity. From these traditions comes a deep regard for intellectual freedom and inclusive love. So our congregation and members seek inspiration and derive spiritual practices from all major world religions. Our theology ranges widely, including humanism, atheism, agnosticism, pantheism, deism, Christianity, Judaism, Neo-Paganism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and many other. And as I thought of that church and I thought of what we were going to talk about today, I couldn't help but think uh, of that text that Brian read for us. And in that text, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he makes three predictions. And the three predictions are this. There's going to come a time when people won't put up with sound doctrine. That doesn't mean that they're just going to reject truth. They actually refuse to hear truth. And then Paul makes a second prediction. He says that people are actually going to fall for, look towards, uh, love to hear lies uh, and myths because of their itchy ears. Ears that are quite eager to hear and listen to any new wild idea, no matter how far-fetched it might be. Uh, Ears that want to have preachers preach the things that they want to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. And then the third prediction that Paul makes to Timothy is this. There will be no shortage of preachers willing to preach 
to itchy ears. And so the bottom line is this. Paul says there's a day that's coming. And I think it sounds very familiar. But there is a day coming wherefore people who are far from God to entertain even having an audience with God, they want to be made to feel comfortable, to feel good, uh, to feel happy, uh, to hear the things that they want to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. Unfortunately, it's not just those who are far from God that have that wish list. One of my favorite preachers preaching on this very topic, uh, he'd been a pastor for many, many years, he talks about the fact that even those who would consider themselves to be followers of God, there's many who come to church with a personal agenda. And he, he listed some of the things that he's dealt with as a pastor of a local congregation. And here's the uh, list of personal agendas uh, from people who are regular attenders. Uh, Make me happy. Meet my needs. Don't talk about sin. Tell me how to be successful. Don't be so negative. Bible doctrine is boring. Theology doesn't matter. Sermons are too long. Make the gospel relevant. Tell more stories. Make me laugh. Tell some jokes. Help me feel good about myself. Build up my self-esteem. Don't be divisive. Don't talk about hell. Be positive. Bottom line, I want a happy religion. You know, last week we shared our vision. Uh, and our vision is that we would become the kind of community where anyone can belong. No matter who they are, where they come from, no matter their personal history of sin, that we can be that kind of community where people can come and they can know and be transformed by God's love. And we went to, I ho- hopefully you, you, you experienced what we were trying to stress last week. There's a difference between becoming a community of comfort where sin and, and issues are just kind of swept under the carpet uh, and being a community where people really belong, where people can be honest about who they are and can be honest in their relationship with God and, and can have an encounter with God in that kind of community. And over the next six weeks, because one of the weeks is going to be Thanksgiving, uh, we are going to share with you what we as the leadership feel are five areas where we've already seen some work, but five areas that we feel that we need to concentrate on, to focus on, uh, if we are to be that kind of community. And one of those keys uh, is proclaiming God's word. Uh, And you're going to notice that these keys are very reflective of our core values. Uh, And so we want to be a church on Sunday mornings. uh, We want to be a church where within our ministries, we want to be a church where the individual members are known as people who proclaim God's word. And what do I mean by God's word? Because that is open for a little bit of interpretation. So when I say God's word, I'm speaking about the whole counsel of scripture, every word that finds its climax, that that finds at the very core the gospel message concerning Jesus Christ. And so when we say that we proclaim God's news, it's reflective of our commitment and our submission to the authority and to the sufficiency of God's word. Uh, It reflects our commitment to the message that we want to share. We want to share all of God's truth 
Uh, We want to share all of God's truth. uh, And specifically, we want to be known as those who proclaim the good news concerning Jesus. The news that, that all people have a problem. We have a problem of sin. And there's nothing we can do to fix that problem on our own. But God has offered a solution in Jesus Christ. And so our first key to becoming the kind of community that we see as our vision, where we feel God calling us and leading us to be, is that we would be people who proclaim God's word. That's who we are. That's our message. That's how we roll. And we believe that if we faithfully proclaim God's word, that we will become the kind of community where anyone can belong and come to know and be transformed by the love of God. But what is it about God's word that would cause us to have such a high view? Why why is God's word something that we would publicly declare to be something uh, that is our uh, supreme authority, our final authority? Something that we are are committed uh, to depending upon. What is it about God's word? And if we really have a high view of God's word, what are we supposed to do with it? As preachers, as teachers, as disciples, as messengers, and as hearers. What are we to do with God's word if we really have such a high view of it? Well, the text that I can't imagine not looking at when you ask that kind of question is the passage that Brian read to us. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to look at the last few verses in chapter 3. We're going to look at a few verses in chapter 4. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy, it's actually the Apostle Paul's last letter. Uh, Paul writes the letter uh, just before uh, his life comes to an end. Uh, And so it's quite telling what Paul would tell this young preacher, pastor, Timothy, uh, as his final instructions. Paul knows that his life is going to be poured out. Uh, He's going to be executed. Uh, And so he gives these final instructions to Timothy. And so Paul wants to share those things with Timothy that are important to him, that he knows will be important to Timothy. Those things that are Paul's passion, the things that Paul sees as as critical for Timothy to take the baton and carry on the mission that Paul has started. Uh, Timothy, he's a young pastor, uh, and and he's facing a lot of opposition. Uh, His mentor is coming to the end of his life. Uh, And so I could just imagine Timothy wondering, how in the world do I carry on? How do I carry the torch? How do I continue the things that Paul has done? What's important to Paul? Should those things be important to me? And how do I possibly carry out my mission in the context that I find myself in? And uh, if we we took the time, you'd see that the world was, was a real mess that Timothy was ministering in. In chapter 3, it says, but, but mark this, Paul says, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul goes on to say that there are going to be people who are going to reject your message. There are going to be people who aren't interested in what you have to say. There are going to be people who don't believe what you have to say. You are going to face opposition. There are going to be false teachers who are teaching totally different things. You think Paul had written it about 2014. But he's writing this to Timothy. And in extension, he's writing it to us. And in that kind of setting, Here's what Paul has to say to Timothy. If I had to sum it up in one sentence. Live God's word. And proclaim God's word. Live by the word and preach the word. But what is it about God's word that makes it so important? And Paul gives the answer right at the very end of chapter 3. Verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, if there's one thing you need to remember, you need to recall, that you, you need to not forget. If there's one thing that you need to live by, let it guide you. Be the words that you say. Remember God's word. Live by God's word. Why? Because God's word is the very breath of God. Paul says, all of scripture is God-breathed. Or maybe a word that you understand a little bit better than God-breathed is, it's inspired. That God spoke scripture into being through the use of human instruments whose writing reflected their personality, but God ultimately is the author. And Paul says, all of Scripture, everywhere, don't let those false teachers throw you off. All of Scripture is God's breath. Even the obscure texts. Those are God's word to you, Timothy. Those are God's words to us. Auburn Bible Chapel. And so what's the implication? What's the relevance? What's the application? First of all, it's this, that when the Bible speaks to us, God is speaking to us. That's easy to say, but it's hard, I know for me, to live out and to really, really believe down here. That that these are God's actual words to us. And just as God is good and faithful and perfect and always right, so too are his words true and faithful and perfect and always right. These aren't the words of mere men. These aren't the words of humans that are geniuses. 
these aren't just the opinions of, of humans that God is rubber stamped. These are God's words to us. And as such, they're to be believed. They're to be obeyed. They are to be our authority. And so why do we have such a high view of Scripture? Because they're God's words to us. And then Paul goes on to say, and they're useful. They have great purpose. And, and look what he says. That all of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching. The Bible teaches us who we are. The Bible teaches us who God is. The Bible teaches us who we are as we stand before God. The Bible teaches us about sin. The Bible teaches us about salvation. The Bible teaches us about God's plan to save the world and to offer forgiveness. It teaches us about His grace and His mercy. It teaches us how to live the kind of lives that that, that please God. It teaches us. And then Paul says it's useful for rebuking. And, And we all know that we fall off the narrow path sometimes. And we get caught up in things that we shouldn't be caught up in. And the Bible rebukes us. It points out our error. It doesn't leave us injured and on the sideline, but it, it corrects us. It offers us correction. And Paul says it offers us training and righteousness. In God's word, God's words to us, not only does he, he, he tell us what our problem is, not only does he tell us how we can have forgiveness, Not only does it tell us about his grace and mercy, but it tells us how we can live lives each and every day that are pleasing to him, that are growing in holiness as we become more like his son, Jesus. And Paul says that that God's word to us is useful. And if we use it to teach us and to rebuke us and to correct us and to train us, we will be well-equipped. And the picture here is of a soldier ready for battle. So why do we have such a high view of God's word? Because it's God's word. He's speaking to us. And it's the stuff that we need to know. It's the truth that we need to know to be the men and women, boys and girls, that are living lives that are pleasing to God. And so if we have such a high view of Scripture... What do we do with it? What are we to do with it? What are we doing with it? Now, I've had lots of conversations. I spend lots of time traveling and on the road and get into all sorts of conversations with people that I don't know. And it's amazing how many people share their conspiracy theories uh, with me. And uh, I've heard the conspiracy theory about the oil companies. Uh, that there is the ability, Brian, maybe you know, there's been for a long time technology to build vehicles that can get unbelievable gas mileage. But it's the oil companies that refuse for that technology to get out there. I don't know if it's true or not, but you know what? I, I can understand why the oil companies wouldn't want that kind of technology to get out there. Uh, another conspiracy uh, I often hear about is to do with the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I hear that there is all sorts of knowledge out there 
that could create medicines that could cure some of the horrible diseases that many people face today. But it's the pharmaceutical companies that don't want that information to get out because they make all sorts of money on the medicine just to keep people living a little bit longer. And I don't know if that's true. But in a warped kind of way, I can understand, if it was true, why the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't want that information to get out. But what I don't understand is if God's word is what we've just said it was. That God's word holds the answer to man's greatest problem. If this is God's message to us, it, it teaches us how to live lives that please a holy and perfect God. I don't get the conspiracy theory. Why for a lot of people who will say that this is God's word to us, is it such a quiet God's word to us? Paul says to Timothy, especially in the times that we're finding ourselves in, Live by the word. Proclaim God's word. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? And then Paul goes through those predictions with Timothy. The word preach here literally means to herald. And uh, for some of us, to herald uh, sounds more like a guy's name than, than, than what we know from history, what a herald really was. But a herald uh, was used by a king in Paul and Timothy's time. If a king had a very important message they wanted to get out to their subjects, they would scatter heralds across the kingdom, every corner, every marketplace door, all the gateways into the kingdom. And the herald would declare the message or the announcement that the king wanted to get across to his subjects. And the herald only had one responsibility. And that was to give or to declare this announcement with kingly authority. It wasn't his responsibility to add to the announcement. It wasn't his responsibility to, to make it shorter. Uh, it wasn't his responsibility to paraphrase it. Uh, it wasn't his responsibility to add his own opinion. The herald had one responsibility, to declare with kingly authority the message that he was given to give. To give. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. And, and by extension, that's what Paul is saying to us today. Preach or proclaim God's word with authority. Declare God's divine message. And I understand, just like some of you might be thinking it, it's not always the easiest thing to do. 
whether it's at school or in the office or extended family. Speaking the truth of God's word into situations sometimes can be really awkward and intimidating and, and maybe even embarrassing. It, it may make us the subject of ridicule. It may make us the subject of rejection. But what Paul is saying to Timothy and to us is this. In a day of itchy ears, proclaim God's word. Within a world of moral decay, proclaim God's word. In a time when so many people are rejecting truth, proclaim God's word. In good times or bad times, proclaim God's word. And not not just the good stuff, but all of it. Not just the verses that make people feel comfortable or feel happy. But we proclaim God's word so that people understand of their sin problem. That they understand of God's love and, and mercy and grace. And that they would come to see the need of their repentance. And to come into relationship with God. So why do we hold such a high view of scripture? Because it's God's word to us. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And it's useful. It's everything that we need. And what are we to do with it? We are to proclaim it, to herald it, to preach it, to teach it, to speak it, to share it. I'm just going to close with five implications. As we consider this key that we want to be a community that's known for proclaiming God's word. And as we consider it against the backdrop of Paul's uh, instruction to Timothy. Here's five implications for Auburn Bible Chapel. First of all, we must be a church whose final authority is God's word. On Sundays, in our ministries, in our small groups, in our youth groups, God's word is our final authority. We have our tradition. We have our cultural considerations. We have our personal preferences. But God's word trumps them all. And that's a core value of our church. Secondly, when you come to Auburn Bible Chapel, you should expect to hear from God's word. When you hear someone's preaching from Auburn Bible Chapel on a Sunday morning, you should expect that it's a sermon based on God's word. There's all other places that you can go and hear man's opinion. I think it goes beyond that. When you come on a Sunday, you should expect to hear God's word. And I think that means for us that we need to have a higher importance to the public reading of God's word. Uh, and Katie, who, who uh, looks after, making sure we've got praise teams up here every week, and, and those who have been involved in talking about the services, we, we, we talk about the importance of the public reading of God's word. But I know speaking for myself, 
I know that at times, yeah, scripture reading, yeah, that's kind of a filler in the service order. Sometimes someone's standing up there, maybe it happened this morning, Brian, while you're reading God's word, and, and, and maybe the time to check the bulletin or kind of phase out. I know I do that. Remember the most interesting, one of the most interesting sermons I heard here. It was a few years ago, Tim Barcroft, I think probably in the summer, and the elders were each taking a Sunday. And Tim, I can't even remember the passage he was speaking on. I think it was probably one of the shorter letters. And he began his sermon by reading the whole text. And it wasn't just five or seven or ten verses. It wasn't even just a chapter. I think he read four chapters. And I can remember sitting there going, oh, my world. What is he doing? Like, you can't do that. But as he kept going, and, and, and with the passion that Tim puts in his voice, it was powerful as I allowed myself to come under the teaching that comes just from hearing God's words to us. So when you come to Auburn, expect to hear and to be taught and to hear sermons that are based on God's word. The third implication is that at the very core of God's word, the message that we want to shout from the pulpit and from our ministries and in our individual conversations is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins and that we can receive forgiveness by faith, accepting what Jesus has done for us. Everyone needs the gospel. And when we consider this whole idea of becoming a community of belonging, the gospel is essential because the gospel places us all on equal footing. None of us are any better than the next person. It doesn't matter how bad your personal history of sin has been. You're a sinner just like the rest of us in need of God's forgiveness and of his grace and of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the message that we proclaim is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fourth implication is this. As we faithfully proclaim the word of God, we will be at odds with the world. We are proclaiming a message that some will reject. That some will ridicule and reject us for. But we believe that it's God's word that changes people. The gospel. And so we proclaim it, regardless of the opposition we face. And then the last implication, and this is a little bit of a twist as far as implications are concerned. I mean, let's face it. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor. He says, preach the word. So we could just say, well, what Paul's really talking about is what takes place on a Sunday morning. Really, the person Paul's talking to is Timothy and, and, and is Brent and, and Ben and anyone out, Daryl, that would get up behind a pulpit uh, and preach. What implications are there for those who mainly are just hearing the word? And I think there's a few implications. One is if this is what Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to do, the flip side of that is these are the words that we need to hear. 
Secondly, we need to be praying that we would have a heart that's receptive to hear God's word. And third, and I'm going to close with this. It's kind of a little selfish, but I'm going to say it anyways. Pray for those who preach and teach. Verse 1 scares me of chapter 4. It's like Paul is grabbing Timothy by the collars and saying, I charge you as we stand in the very throne room of God and we consider the fact that Jesus is coming again and he's going to judge those and evaluate the lives of people and make sure that you're preaching a message that people understand that they need the forgiveness of sin and do it honestly and be reliable and be trustworthy and make sure it's not your opinion, but that it's God's word that you're preaching. It scares me. So I ask, pray for those of us who preach. Pray for those of us who teach. That we'll be bold. That we will be faithful. uh, That we will have wisdom as we study God's word. And that it would be proclaimed with power so that people's lives would be changed. Amanda, come on up.